one of the ideas that we talk about a lot as we plan liturgy is especially coming out of the sermon that that song that we sing in response gives a vocabulary of response to the message that we're trying to go what's the best language we can give our people here to really respond in song to what we just saw from the text um, but but the whole worship hour we're trying to think intentionally about wrapping that entire liturgy around a theme or themes um, that really work together it's not just random You're listening to The Chopping Block, a weekly podcast from City Life Church, where we have short, informal conversations about the Bible and the meaning it has for our lives. If you didn't get the chance to catch last week's sermon, I'd recommend going back and giving it a listen so that you can pick up with us where the sermon left off. Back in the studio for another episode of The Chopping Block. I'm here with Brett and Zach. And this past Sunday, we started a new sermon series. Um, and so the plan is to walk through the book of First Peter for the next several months. I think we're going to be journeying through First Peter until mid-September. So we're going to kind of take a slower pace and do a little bit more verse-by-verse exposition um, which I think is appropriate for an epistle. Um, so this Sunday we started it. I thought to get us started this morning, it would be interesting to talk about some of the pre-work that goes into getting ready for a sermon series. Um, I mean, this is probably obvious to most people, but you don't just show up on Sunday and open up your Bible and decide to preach through a book or show up on Sunday and just run the play of a liturgy that there's some pre-work, some prep that goes into it, um, both on, you know, the, the preaching end, but also on the liturgy end. And so Zach, I thought it'd be fun to hear from you just, um, for a minute on some of the work that you do as you think through preparing for a new sermon series. So we were talking several weeks ago about this series and you began to, start to try to wrap your mind around um, preparing um, for First Peter. So talk to us a little bit about what goes into thinking through how to particularly structure liturgies around a, a sermon series and even thinking through songs and things like that. We'd love to, to hear from you. Yeah, well, um, there's kind of all kinds of different ways that we um, pick songs and liturgy elements like confessions and calls to worship and stuff at City Life. Um, we have our liturgy planning meetings where, you know, week to week we decide what songs we'll do um, and kind of look through the themes of that week's sermon and see how we can kind of match the elements and songs um, to the topic of that that particular week. Um, and then when it comes to series like and preparing for especially a long and really like expositional series like this where we're really like diving deep into a book um just try to identify some themes i'm a big 
Um, I mean, I, I've said this on the podcast, but even, but in my city group, I'm like the Bible project guy. It's people take bets to like how many minutes in I'll mention <laughs> Tim Mackey, but, um, I'm all, I just, they're big, like biblical theology educators. And because of my influence from them, I'm just a big biblical theology nerd. I love to just see whenever, um, when, and biblical theology, you know, as, as opposed to like systematic theology where you're like kind of starting with the ideas and seeing what the Bible has to say about them. But, but biblical theology being kind of like looking at the ideas as they arise in scripture. So like the tree of life shows up on page one and then all through the Bible, there's these ideas of trees yep. and ideas of all the way to Jesus dying on a tree and um, a tree. There's like a new tree of life in revelation, things like this, where you go through Bible beginning to end and see kind of what ideas arise. And so when we come to a new series like this, um, something I, I did, and this is actually the first time I've really um, just dived in um, before we even started the series, rather than going week to week and just gotten into first Peter and just identified some of those biblical theological themes that show up in first Peter and then searched and tried to find some songs um, that really bring out each one of those themes. So like I just looked last week through the first chapter of Peter um, spent a few hours just digging into it, looking at different translations, trying to figure out, um, you know, lots of times with the epistles, you read it once and it's like, yep. that was a lot. <laughs> like you read yep. one chapter and it's like every paragraph has 15 massive ideas that are all connected to, to the other paragraphs. <laughs> and it's like, like can be overwhelming, but just like looking through a few different translations, trying to identify like key words and ideas that show up. Um, and then once I've identified those, trying to find some songs that kind of go with that theme or bring that theme out. So, so what, are, what are some of the themes that you saw begin to emerge as you just read through first Peter? Yeah. Um, I looked at, I, I only got through the first chapter because of that fact that there's just so much there. Um, and the first thing I noticed was this theme of like revelation and, uh, and hiddenness kind of as the equal and opposite, you know, the people that the letters being written to are clearly in a tough situation. They're clearly facing persecution and suffering. And, um, you can see with how many times that the author mentions, uh, revelation, mm. like the future revelation of Christ, the revelation of our salvation like that and that our hope is in these things being revealed in the future yep um and so yeah like a few songs like one song that we're going to be introducing um probably in a few weeks is this song highlands by hillsong um which is just uses a lot of really beautiful poetic language to say that god is revealed himself just as much in the valleys as he has on the mountaintops. And, um, and just that idea of, uh, and then another one, yeah, it was hope, like our hope for that revelation. So mm -hmm. songs like living hope, which the, you know, that even comes from a direct quote from first Peter. So that's like a big theme song for us, um, in this series. And 
other themes like exile, like exile is a huge theme from beginning to end of scripture, starting with Adam and Eve being exiled from the garden all the way through to the church living in exile, knowing that this isn't our permanent home. And there's a lot of that shown up in Peter. And so songs like, um, like farther along that we just introduced this week, which is like, again, and it also is about place in our future hope, you know, all these themes kind of weave together too, right. but farther along just being like, man, when people die and it, you know, when good people die and suffer and evil people succeed in this life, you know, that song talks about, and we just ask why right. we don't understand. And the song farther along says, we don't understand, but we will. Yeah. Um, and then just like a few others, like inheritance, there's a lot about who we are in Christ and, and the inheritance we have um, and obedience and holiness. You know, there's a few songs like Be Thou My Vision that really focus on spiritual formation and and how we um, obey Christ and become more like Christ. And um, so, yeah, just identifying those themes and thinking, how can we sing songs that that rather than just, you know, a lot of time it's easy like to go by and and we do use other parameters too like are we sick of this song or are we right. or is this song like fresh and new or or is this just a classic that we need like a song like holy 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 it's like if we don't sing that song at least 10 times a year something's wrong like, right, right that's a classic that we're always doing so you know we use other parameters of like does the song work well this week does this song um feel fresh does it feel um like people are really singing this song out, things like that. But, um, just having a broader vision too, of like, um, what's this, what's, what's going to like really drive home the point of this series. Hopefully that's helpful as people yeah. think about, you know, what's the formula for songs being, you know, sung or right. why this one and not that one to go there. There is some method to the madness here. This isn't Zach just going, well, I don't like that song and I like this song. I, I mean, for sure, there's got to be a comfort level for the worship leader to to sing a song. Right. Um, but, you know, Zach puts a ton of, you put a ton of thought into it. Um, and one of, the, one of the ideas that we talk about a lot as we plan liturgy is, especially coming out of the sermon, that that song that we sing in response. Yeah gives a vocabulary of response to the message that we're trying to go. What's the best language we can give our people here to really respond in song to what we just saw from the text. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but the whole worship hour, we're trying to think intentionally about wrapping that entire liturgy around a theme or themes um, that really work together. It's not just random. Yeah. Um, and what's been cool is I've I've talked to several people who have picked up on that. Um, in fact, Zach, just to encourage you, um, I thought this was a really cool moment. Sunday afternoon, we had a, a Discover class. So we were talking with um, probably two dozen people who were exploring our church, been visiting, yeah. um, learning more, some considering membership and um I can't even remember the context um, exactly of, of how we got there, but one of the individuals that's that was in the class was essentially saying, you know, it's so easy to get off track and forget who I am 
And every Sunday, he said the liturgy, essentially, and I'm paraphrasing here, I can't remember his exact right. verbiage here, but essentially every week the liturgy recenters me mm. um, and kind of reminds me who I am and reminds me who God is and remind me reminds me what life is about. And he said, I mean, he was he was kind of getting it. There's a mystery to this, um, but it was it was a pretty cool moment. It was a really profound moment for me to go. Yes, he gets it. He gets yeah. he gets yeah. it. Like there is huge meaning. There's a reason why we do these call and responses and litanies and um, scripture readings and why we confess sin every week and why we're assured of grace every week and you know the songs that we sing. We're, we're all of that is in a gospel arc reminding us of of who God is and who we are and our need for Jesus and the yeah. redemption that's been provided. Um, so just a shout out to you, man. I think you do a great job. And um, I, th- I think our people are responding to that and I think it's having real impact. So mm, thanks. Yeah. I, I even being in the middle of the storm of making it all happen on Sundays, I ex- feel like I experienced that same thing just here in our church sing out, you know, like, um, I, I probably, something I probably overdo is when we get to the end of the song, I do this thing again and we do it a cappella, and I could back off the mic. And that's just like a purely, not purely, but that's like a selfish thing yeah. where I'm like, I love to hear our church mm. sing. Yeah. And I think over the past several years, like we've become more and more a church who sings and, um, yeah, I experienced that same thing that this person mentioned every week, just being being blessed to be a part of it and 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 to hear our church sing and just to yeah like say these words every Sunday is something my soul needs um, as well. I think we all well, need it. Thankful for you, Zach. Thankful for how you lead intentionally, and I'm thankful for both of you leaving me just over ten minutes to talk about some really easy things to talk about in the first two verses of first Peter. So we did, we kicked off the first Peter series this week with just verses one and two, really getting at who the author is, who the recipients are and, and kind of some of the main things that are coming out in those first couple of verses. And maybe a place to start is, you know, one thing I think we could do on this podcast, which is helpful is sometimes teaching people about uh, how you work through interpretive questions like what to do with certain pieces of the text or challenging questions or things that are that that are there's a difference of opinion on right so you know we took a a fairly traditional view that that we believe the apostle peter is really the author of this book whether he had someone help him write it or not we really believe peter is the author here of the content um so that maybe was was pretty simple for most people, but one thing that was a little maybe different is from a excuse me, I'm gonna cough. <laughs> Sorry, had coffee this morning. <laughs> one thing that's a little different is who the author is writing to, who Peter is writing to, yep. the recipients, right? Like, you know, if you read a uh, John Stott's you know, commentary series, which is pretty right in the middle for us in terms of what's orthodox and, and, and conservative scholarship and really good. He's going to say this was mostly written to a Gentile audience. Right. And, you know, 
people might get there at a different angle. Who, okay, how, how do they get the gospel? Maybe they were the people that were there on the day of Pentecost and heard Peter preach and then went back to their places. But you, you actually brought up a maybe a minority view of who this group is, that they were Roman Jewish Christian converts that were exiled out and even expelled out of Rome and forced to colonize these areas, which maybe someone hadn't heard before. Why? What led you to that? Why do we make some of the interpretive decisions we do when we're approaching a text? Yeah, great question. Um, I never want to think about disagreeing with John Stott on (laughs) on things, but so it is. Yeah, no, I, I did take kind of a minority position. I mean, the crux of the matter is what is Peter doing with this word exile? Yeah. You know, so he says that he's writing to elect exiles of the dispersion mm-hmm. or of the diaspora. Um, and so at the most fundamental level, the question is, is he using that word exile simply metaphorically? To say that in a sense, like Christians are exiles because we don't fully fit in. Right. Um, and, and the answer to that is he's definitely using it that way. But is he using it more literally to describe a group of believers who have actually been exiled? Yeah. Um, most people say no. And the reason why they go the Gentile route is because there's language in First Peter that talks about um, turning from the empty ways of your past. Uh-huh. Um, he seems to be describing a pagan lifestyle. Um, and he deals with that a couple different places. And so reading the, reading the book as a whole, they're going, well, Peter's clearly writing to former pagan Gentiles who have been converted to Christ. Um, the position that I took on Sunday, um, was not that that's that he's writing exclusively to Jewish Christians, but that he was writing to Jewish converts and God fearers who would have been Gentiles who, had embraced Yahweh, mm-hmm. the God of Israel. But also that there would have been other Gentiles who had come into the church um, as well. So it was a mix of Jews and Gentiles who were viewed by um, Emperor Claudius really as a sect of Jews because Christianity kind of a you know arose yeah. from within Judaism and that their their different beliefs were causing disruption mm-hmm. meaning that um, Jewish religion was fairly well accepted just because it was it was common um, and they knew it wasn't going to cause an uproar and and so they they were they were fine with it as long as the Jews kind of played by the Roman rules um, this new sect would have caused red flags to go up and, and that that was the reason why Emperor Claudius sent them out. Um, so I'm leaning heavily on the, the work of Karen Jobes, um, and I just found it really compelling. Um, emperor Claudius was the only emperor known to have colonized all five of the places mentioned by Peter in verse 1. Mm-hmm. Um, it, his theory deals with the fact that Peter uses this term exile in a more literal way, but he's... Job's is quick to say, as soon as that letter got circulated outside of Asia Minor, the word exile took on a new meaning. Right. And that it was never intended by Peter 
to only be for those believers. Right. Um, and so it works both ways. So I, what I would say is at the end of the day, it's, you know, we're reading this, this letter 2000 years later and applying it to our lives. Mm -hmm. And so there is a metaphorical sense to it. Um, so I think we can read it at both levels, but you have to make decisions about what makes the most sense of the context um, in which the letter was written. There's a lot of questions when it comes to a book like First Peter. What's his relationship with these believers? We, right. we don't exactly know. Um, that's another reason why I went with the theory I went with was, you know, according to common tradition, Peter would have been in Rome. It establishes some sort of a relationship with these believers, both being from Rome and now they've been dispersed or sent out. Um, but, you know, there's another theory that Peter, you know, actually went on a missionary journey to Asia Minor. Right. That's not written about in the New Testament. And that, you know, one of the reasons why Paul, who wanted to go to Asia, was prevented by the Spirit from going, that's when he receives the Macedonian call, um, was because Peter was going to Asia Minor. Yeah. I mean, it becomes, could do a lot with it. you know, it becomes yeah. conjecture. And and this is one of the, I think, caution flags we we need to to have you can spend so much time trying to get behind the text uh -huh. that that ends up forcing out an interpretation because you're making decisions about what's going on behind the text. And I think we need to try to do our historical research and understand as much as we can the context for which a, a letter was written. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is to deal with the words and the sentences and the paragraphs of the letter itself. Yeah, that's good. Well, that's helpful. I think, you know, for anybody who's listening, I think I think the most important thing to hear maybe is that every week a preacher is making interpretive decisions when they come to you with a sermon. Right? There are really clear things in scripture. There are things, there are real clear theological ideas. Jesus is the son of God, right? There's no we, we can't say something different than that and be in in orthodoxy, right? He rose from the dead. Those things there are clear things, but they're also you know, background, historical things, or even words and phrases that people interpret a little differently. So, you know, in the in the power of the Spirit, prayerfully, and, and in good study, preachers are making interpretive decisions when they stand before you and, and ask God to really help illuminate this text for, for people. Which so. is Which is why it's important for you as an individual to spend your own time in the text. Right. Um, to come prayed up. And, and why we humbly come saying, Holy Spirit, right. help me hear from you and help me to listen to what you have to say. Um, because, yeah, these are fallible people preaching these texts, hopefully doing, you know, faithful deep work, deep yeah. faithful work in dealing with the text. I mean, this is what my Greek prof would always tell us, you know, as we were learning Greek. He, he would say... You know, the point of learning Greek is not so you can have some little nugget to, to throw at your people. Well, this word means this, and it's in this tense, and therefore, it, you know, has this going on, you know, ongoing ramification. He's like, that's not the point of Greek. You know, the point of learning Greek is that you can ask questions you couldn't otherwise ask right. by knowing the original language because interpretation necessarily means making decisions. Yep. And those decisions are made for you you know, unless you're able to get to that level. And so what I would say to, to every person is read the text mm -hmm. um, so that you're able to 
enter into the discussion of interpretation. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Does that mean we all need to go buy a Greek no concordance? Yeah, you can't whatever. know no. the Bible without a Greek New Testament with you. <laughs> no, I kidding, I, joking people. Um, you know, our English translations are such good, faithful translations, and the people on those teams that are helping put together our our translations are are amazing people. And so, Zach, I think even what you mentioned earlier of like when it comes to some of these, you know, debated texts or um, ideas to read multiple translations to, to see how different, different groups approached even trying to put the words together in the most faithful order to make sense of like, you know, this version uses this word, but this version uses this word. What's going on there? Well, the word in the Greek doesn't necessarily have a one-for-one equivalent in the English, and so you have to make a decision about how you put that word or phrase together. Yeah. And so I think reading multiple translations kind of helps you get around, oh, okay, here is, here's sort of where the debate rests and what's going on. But no, I don't. we don't have to learn Greek. I think, obviously, there's benefit to it, which is why biblical scholars learn it. Um, but I think the, the more important word to hear is it's important for us to spend time in the word and to, and to wrestle with it and to, to ask questions of the text, to really interrogate the text. And I think even coming to it, like, especially, you know, like listening to this whole conversation, it can be easy to think, well, I'm not going to go study first century history and mass. I don't even know what Macedonia means. Like what I don't, (laughs) and, uh, and to kind of lose hope. But I think like even something I have to do all the time, is as when I come to a text, especially the epistles, because they're just so dense and there's so much going on, like the letters of Paul and, and Peter, they're, they're like, like there's a million ideas in one sentence and um, something I have to do because it's like, like you, even as I prepared for this, it's like I read that first chapter of Peter and I was like, okay, uh, what, what now? And it's like, I just have to assume, okay, I'm not going to understand every word of this. Yep. I'm not, I mean, it's like, it's a 2000 year old text written in a different language. Like I'm not going to understand every word, but I can identify a few things. And you know, like it's, that's why it's really helpful to find a word like revealed or find a word like hope and identify if it shows up a bunch of times and then just go, okay, well I can, I can get this. I can get what they're saying here and just get something just to adore into the text. That's like, okay, this is something I can pick up on. I don't have to like eat the whole elephant at once or whatever. I don't have to take in the fire hose all or nothing. Like I can slow down a little bit and just see what I can find here. That does make sense to me. That's really good. And then the rest of it will will fall into place eventually. And that's where preaching like helps us as well is that um, someone who has gone and gotten the degree and does have a Greek new Testament on their shelf can help us get at some of those things that are harder to understand. Well, and I just think too, like you know, we need the spirit, right? Like I think something we've reiterated a couple of times on this podcast is you know, we should do the work. We should do the faithful work of research, the faithful work of interpretation, but we really believe this is the God inspired word. This is, this is God speaking to us. So we need the, the Holy Spirit's help more than anyone else and yeah. more than anything else. Um, and I think the biggest thing is just read it. I mean, yeah. you know, read it and read it and read it. Those themes will start to emerge and, you know, you're never going to master the Bible. Right. Um, and so I've, I've, you know, 
I've heard it recommended, like read for breadth and depth, like read for kind of what, what Zach was talking about, like a, like reading through the whole Bible to see these macro level themes emerge. And, and, and you do start to see these themes, um, but then narrowing in, like pick a book of the Bible and buy a commentary. We have, we have access to so many resources and tools right. like to go in deeper. You're, Zach's exactly right. Like you're not just going to become a master of the Bible, but you can, there are so many tools out there. You can take steps and go deeper and, and it's actually fun. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, people geek out on all kinds of things like, you know, comic books and the star Wars universe and, and, and all of these things like, I mean, you can geek out on the Bible. There's, and it's a lot of fun. Like it's a lot of fun to do that. So, and probably the only way you'll be able to keep it in your brain, at least this is how my brain works is if you just follow your curiosity anyway, like allow there to be interest and that rather than like a, yeah, sort of like, you know, just white knuckle it. I'm going to understand this. Like yep. uh, actually just like find something that interests you and follow it. And mm. then, and then all of a sudden you might find that you have the motivation to go Google that Greek word or go to Bible gateway and see what you can find or whatever, you know, like yep. following your curiosity is a really good way to, it's good to I think, good. learn about the Bible. Well, we're a few minutes over our normal time already, and we haven't even talked about the idea of chosen <laughs> or election. So I think what we'll do is we'll wrap up this episode today and do a special uh, episode where we only uh, just throw questions at Andy about election and what that means. And, you know, he made a comment that, that stuck out to a lot of people, I think, in the sermon about uh, Peter wasn't trying to start a debate here with this word chosen. He wasn't trying to cause, uh, you know, controversy. He was trying to assure a people and he was trying to remind them of the security of grace and their salvation. So excited to maybe talk about that in a special episode coming up, but this was fun just to kind of talk about our heart behind the liturgy and Zach, the work you do, and then begin to talk about the interpretive decisions we make in a sermon. So we will catch you next week. If you want to find out more about City Life Church or have any questions about the kinds of things we talked about today, you can head over to citylifechurch.org and fill out a digital connect card. We'd love to reach out and stay in touch with you. Thanks for listening.